0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning everyone, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here. Great to be with you this morning. Looking forward to getting into the book of Hosea with you. I want to tell you about a shopping adventure. Uh, I went shopping recently and I went to the marriage day yesterday and I learnt something about a key difference between my wife and myself. Uh, She loves shopping, she maximises her time in the shopping centre. Uh, Can you guess where I stand? (laughs) Uh, I minimise my time in the shops, I don't love shopping, Uh, I just do shopping. I know not every couple's like this, but and not every woman's like this, not every man is like this. But we seem to fit the studies that show there's a difference between men and women uh, when you get to the shops. Have a look at this video. This is what the research tells us. There it is. Very simple. But you know something else I noticed at the shops? I don't know whether you've noticed this. Uh, retail assistants wear name tags. That's kind of not new. Uh, their name's there. It used to perhaps be their title. But I don't know whether you've noticed there's a new name tag uh, that some retail assistants uh, are wearing. And it's the, the name tag that says who they are in relation to their family. Uh, it's a name tag that says, I am a daughter. I am a son. I'm a mother, I'm a father. Have people seen these? Um, they've come and gone a little bit. I'm wondering whether they're bigger in Queensland. This is the the uh, ad that came up in Queensland. Retail workers are people too. I think you get the idea. Uh, why, why do you think retail stores would put that? Apparently uh, Bunnings are doing it here in Wollongong. Uh, I am a daughter. It's actually It's, it's actually designed to reduce abuse uh, to retail assistance. Uh, they want you to think about who you're speaking to. When you've had a bad day, when you get to that uh, to the checkout, well, before you abuse this person, remember, they're a daughter, they're a mum. Imagine what their dad would think if they saw you abusing their daughter. Now, I reckon that would work, um, Gee, I I could imagine that for myself, I can relate to that. I don't want any women to be abused at work. Uh, That's always wrong, isn't it? But to see my daughter abused at work, I'd feel more strongly. Now, is it more wrong? Is it more wrong that they abuse my daughter when she's the retail assistant? It's not more wrong. It's, It's wrong whoever it is. But what's the difference? I feel more personally grieved. Yeah, you'd feel more personally grieved, wouldn't you? If it was your dad, it was your mum. It has to do with relationship. There's something else going on there, isn't there? Reminding us there's a relationship here that has been uh, that I'm aggrieved by, that you've abused. Now, hold on to that. That taps into something we're going to press into uh, this morning in the book of Hosea. Have the book of Hosea open in front of you. We're in chapter 1. Uh, We're going to look at uh, the whole of the chapter today. And as we begin uh, this morning, there's a challenge. Uh, Jeff's already alluded to that. A challenge and there's a warning for us. Uh, It's a challenge and a warning as we head through the whole book of Hosea. The challenge, notice it with me, it's in the first five words of Hosea. There it is. This is the word of the Lord. See? This is God speaking to us. This is the God, the Creator, speaking into His people, the lives of His people and to us. And so the challenge there is obvious, isn't it? Are you going to listen? And I've got to say that, haven't I? Because here we are in this ancient book, written thousands of years ago. It's deep in the Old Testament. You're struggling to find it. Some of you didn't even know it existed. Uh... What is it saying? What have we got to be reminded of? Here is the word of the Lord. Here's what God says. And so over the next nine weeks, uh, are you going to listen? Uh, Not to what I say, but what does God say? There's the challenge. Even sharper, uh, turn over to chapter 14. Uh, Again, Jeff alluded to this. Let me me put um, some sharpness to that. In verse 9, Hosea reminds us, this is not an irrelevant ancient book. Don't think that. God's put it here for our good. Uh, Hosea is going to speak to us about life and reality. Life and reality. Look at verse 9. Who is wise? In other words, who gets life? Who's successful in life? That's what wisdom is about. Who can navigate life well? Let them realise these things. The things spoken by God in this book, Hosea. Uh, Who is discerning? Who makes good choices in life? Don't we all want to make good choices in life? Let them understand this book of Hosea that God has spoken. And here it is. The, wor- the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So much at stake, isn't it? You see how relevant it is? Wisdom, making great choices. Life, reality, uh, are you listening? And it gets even sharper. Turn back to Hosea chapter 1, because in Hosea chapter 1, it's, here's the sharp end It's do you get the two most important things that you could ever realise in all of life? That's huge, isn't it? Here are the two most important things that if you do not get, you're in trouble. That is a huge call, but what are they? Who is God? Who are you? That's what we're going to press into this morning. Two things that really matter into eternity. Knowing God. Do you know God? And do you know yourself? Do you know God and do you know yourself? The great theologian, church leader, reformer John Calvin, 16th century, said if you don't get God, you won't get yourself. If you don't understand yourself, you won't understand God. There is nothing more important than these two topics and we're going to be majorly helped by Hosea as we press into those this morning. So there's the challenge. But there's also a warning as we start this series. Uh, Hosea doesn't warn you, but let me warn you. I reckon if Hosea was a movie, it would come up with the warning, adult themes. It would come up, you know, those things, that, uh, viewer discretion, uh, parents' guidance if you're under 16. Uh, it, it's, it's the topics we're going to cover. It's, it's the topic of adultery. It's the topic of sexual immorality, of betrayal, of broken marriage, of sin, of idolatry. It's like just a warning there at the start. Our parents, I think, take the initiative with your kids if they're listening in. Teenagers, check in with, your, with, your, with a parent. But uh, hear me right. Let's press into this, let's listen to this, let's not back away from this. God's put it here for our good, to wrestle with, to learn, to feel the weight of, to feel the sadness, the grief, because God wants to teach us something about himself and something about us that's really, really important. Now some of us will feel the weight of these more than others, uh, because of our past, because of our history, something to do with us or someone we know. Um, But let's help each other on the journey. I'm going to address it as sensitively as I can, but we're going to be listening to God. Um, So there it is, over nine weeks, that's where we're heading. And let me just tell you, over the next three weeks, so today is the sting of adultery, the sting of betrayal. We'll we'll sit with that. Uh, Next week, uh, it's about the relationship restored, the kindness, the mercy of God. Uh, Just slightly brighter next week. Uh, And then week three, we'll come back and we'll we'll just have a think about idolatry. What's going on with idolatry? Why do we get tempted there? So I'm going to pray. Let's let's, uh, begin by asking God to help us. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks into our dark world. You've spoken into our own dark hearts. Uh, You reveal yourself in all your glory and goodness and we thank you for it. Father, we want you to speak today to us. We want to know you truly, Uh, we want to understand ourselves rightly. Uh, So Lord, by your Spirit, please teach us, please train us, correct us, please help us to respond uh, to the things that you are saying, these important things, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Book of Hosea, unfamiliar, so let me uh, give you some background. Uh, It's named after the prophet Hosea, that's uh, that's why it's called Hosea. Uh, we're about 800 years before the time of Jesus, so we're talking BC, before Christ. Uh, in the century, 800 BC to 700 BC, uh, that's the time frame we're in. So we're talking 2,800 years uh, ago, Hosea spoke into the life of God's people. Uh, he's a you won't be able to see all the detail of that. That's in your book. Don't look at your book now. Um, but you can press into this. Uh, there's the journey of God's people. Uh, starts with creation. Uh, starts with the fall, or the promises to Abraham, the nation of Israel, the kings, and then the divided kingdom. A kingdom that goes to the north and the south. A kingdom that goes to the north, the short uh, stub there, is destroyed by Assyria. And the, the kingdom to the south... That is in exile to, to Babylon. The promises continue to Jesus, his church, and the new creation. There it is uh, for you to see. And we're at that small stub right at the end, that dead end. We're at the north part of the kingdom. The ten tribes to the north, uh, just before they're about to be destroyed by Assyria, that great foreign nation to the north. And have a look at this map of the geography. Uh, ten tribes to the north. Uh, two tribes to the south uh, but let's think about the north because that's where Hosea is, that's who he's speaking into. Um, who are the people of the north? They're, they're God's people but they've turned their back on God, they've turned their back on Jerusalem, that's massively significant, turned their back on, on God's temple where God dwells. They've, they've set up their own temple, their own shrine, um, they've started to worship the Baals, the gods of the nations. They live in comfortable, materialistic, self centered lives, uh, terribly corrupt, an immoral, an awful situation. And it's really helpful as you go through the book of Hosea. When you hear the word Israel, Hosea is referring to the north, sometimes he calls them Ephraim, uh, and Judah refers to the southern kingdom that will be kept safe. Um, So look at verse 1. Here we're reminded of all these things. Uh, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Just a reminder where we are in the south. Uh, That's the the historical situation. During the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, to the north. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, this is what the Lord said. So, you know, we're talking real people. Real kings, real places, real time. This is history. This is part of uh, the Bible story. This is part of history. Now let's have a think about Hosea. Hosea is a unique man. He's not unique because he's a prophet. Lots of prophets uh, throughout the Bible. The the job of a prophet is to speak the word of God faithfully. But you know there's something different about Hosea. He's got a tough gig, hasn't he? He's going to not only speak God's word, he's going to enact God's word. In fact, his whole life is going to be a giant sermon illustration. How good is that? Uh, Just look at my life and see, hear what I'm saying, but just look at my life and family and you'll hear what God is saying. Uh, Unique? Kind of reminds me of, isn't it reminding you of us, the Gospel? Speak the words of the Gospel, but let people see your life, that they might see Jesus in you. Oh wow, you're different, you love Jesus... There's some similarities there, but that's that's another story. Um, Here he is. He is called to marry a promiscuous woman. Her name is Goma, verse 2. Now, why does God get him to do that? Because God wants... It's a very simple, very clear message, isn't it? God wants his people to know you are that woman. You are Goma. You have been unfaithful. Look at it, verse 2. Like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. You see, that's, that's horrifically shocking. Israel, who'd, who'd experienced the deep, deep love of God, the ironclad commitment from God, are the people who are prostituting themselves spiritually, worshipping the gods of the nations setting up shrines and altars, um, worshipping the Baals, off they went. And so what does God do? God hits them up. God calls them out. God confronts them. He says to his nation, you are this unfaithful woman. You are like an adulteress. And what does he want them to to know? He wants them to understand, know that you were loved by me. I loved you into existence. You're the people that I dearly love. I gathered you, I protected you. I cherish you, I fought for you. I stood at the altar and I promised you faithfulness forever. I said I would never leave you and you have betrayed me. Hear this, Israel. You've done a terrible thing. You've spat in the face of a holy, good and perfect God. That is scandalous. That is unimaginably offensive. See, when Hosea and the promiscuous Goma get married, what is God saying to his people? You are that promiscuous woman. You are the unfaithful partner in this marriage and I am angry. I don't know what your translation says, but some of the English translations actually say, Goma is a prostitute. That's even more stinging, isn't it? More outrageous, more blatant. Israel, you've turned your back on me in the most outrageous, most blatant way possible. Can you feel it? Do you feel the sting of this? The blatant, outrageous, adultery of God's people. Now, there's a, there's a couple of reasons why you might not feel the full force of this. Um, one of them is you might, you might have a wrong understanding of the bride here, of Goma. As you think about Goma, the adulteress, uh, I, I want you to know this is not the woman we're meant to feel sorry for. Now, of course, it's right to feel sorry for lots of men and women caught in sexual immorality and prostitution... Uh, it's right to have a, a deep compassion for a man or woman who degrades themselves uh, in prostitution. I hope, I hope that's your instinct. I hope that's where your heart goes, naturally. Um, because isn't it true that they've often landed there because of sexual abuse in their past or poverty, current, or, or abuse of power, or all three? And so, what a terrible thing that they've landed there. They need our sympathy. But can I say, that's not Goma, and that's not Israel, here in chapter 1. Goma is the woman, and Israel is the nation that have indulged in adultery. That have pushed the very limits blatantly with the God who's loved them. See, Goma is the woman who takes advantage of others for her personal gain. Uh, She deceives herself, she deceives others, she's selfish, she's driven by pride, she's callous, she's dismissive, she's the driver, she's not the victim. And God says to Israel, that is you, that is what you're like, that's what you've done. That's huge, isn't it? I've loved you, I was there from the beginning and you've betrayed me, you've gone off with other gods. God's. I reckon the other reason we might not feel the full force of this is we've we've got a distorted view of marriage. So what does is, what is this giant sermon illustration trade on? It trades on a very beautiful, pure picture of God's ideal view of marriage, yeah? Uh, and we distort that in, in a whole lot of ways. In fact, our culture is near obliterating it. Um, what is that picture that God is trading on as he speaks to us about the horror of adultery. It's that beautiful picture in in, uh, Genesis chapter 2. In the garden, one woman and one man together in perfect sexual union, uh, reserved for one another as lifelong partners, enjoying one another uh, so that they might be one, holy, pure, living a life of trust and beauty and companionship, no shame... Both the man and the woman feeling respected and honored, that beautiful picture is what Israel has stomped on. In fact, it's actually bigger than that. That the, the marriage picture that God is trading on is, is bigger than that. In the old testament, God says to his people, I am your husband, you are my wife. There's the marriage. That's to be kept and honoured and pure. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, Where's the real marriage? What's the ultimate marriage? The marriage that matters most, the eternal marriage, the marriage that human marriage points to? It's the marriage between Jesus and his church. That's the marriage you've got to get right. That's the marriage you've got to honour above all, the human marriage points to it. That's the marriage if you dishonour, you're in trouble. And Israel, you have dishonoured that marriage. It was precious, it was sacred. And you stomped on it, you trashed it. And we went to see how tragic it is that there is Hosea married to a woman who keeps betraying him. How tragic it is that she keeps straying. She keeps going off to other lovers. Uh, have a look in chapter 2, you see and you feel how foolish it is. I think that's what the poetry is meant to do. Uh, how foolish it is. Look at, look at it with me. Verse 5, she says, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water. Really? It was God who gave you every great gift. You go off with your lovers who you think give you food and water. Verse 7, I, she will chase after her lovers but will not catch them. There's, there's a hopelessness. There's a tragedy to it. Uh, she will look for them but not find them, there's no satisfaction there but she keeps chasing and then she'll want to return to her husband, end of verse 7, as at first for she'll realise then I was better off than now. It's that tragic picture picture of the person who just, you know, the person who just keeps looking for love, their eyes keep going elsewhere. There is their partner who's committed to them, offers them love, is not perfect but they keep looking elsewhere and get themselves into all kinds of trouble. You know, it's exciting for a time to chase lovers, ends badly and realises, I need to come home. She's the one who's committed to me. It's just tragic. And that's what, that's what Israel's done. That's what they've done as a nation. They've gone off, they've worshipped the Baals, they've thought there is life and significance and purpose, they've turned their back on their Creator... They've forgot God is their sustainer. God is the generous, generous giver of every good gift. They don't have anything without God. And there they are, chasing the bals. You know, it's a picture by extension of all humanity. It's actually a picture of what every human being has done. Uh, that though God has made us, though he's given us life and health and safety and shelter and given us every good gift in his creation, we what do we do? We go off and pursue someone else. We ignore God. We say, I'll get satisfaction, significance, purpose, happiness from my career, from my house, from my money, my, my sport. In fact, we'll try anything to get satisfaction, anywhere with anyone except God. That's who we are as human beings. Uh, We think relationships will do it, we think marriage will do it, we think having children will somehow do it. Maybe if I had a better job, it's just chasing after lovers. It is tragic, it will not satisfy. If you ignore God, if, if your satisfaction is not in him, you will be disappointed. It'll only be a matter of time. It won't last, it won't satisfy. Uh, these temptations are, are all around us. I was reminded of this chase after idols, after other gods just recently. Um, some of you know that we recently bought a house in Wollongong, which is a great blessing, uh, We're really excited about that. Um, but it was really, really interesting. As I went on that journey for the last six months, I'm trying to buy a house and meeting the real estate agents of Wollongong, who I learned to love. And I, did you know, God loves real estate agents. It is true. And, you know, I was trying to connect with them and I was saying, look, I'm from Salt Church, I'm new here, this is my situation. And, of course, they were trying to connect with me and they were trying to, they were working very hard to sell me, not a home, I don't think it's about a home for them, a dream. Imagine, imagine yourself living here. Look at this kitchen. Look at these floors. These floors, I mean, it's interesting, some of the messaging I'm getting from them, some of it's explicit, some of it's implicit. These floors will really change your life. (laughs) Really? I was staggered at the nonsense that I heard. But you know, I was also staggered how easily I fell for it. I started to think, yeah, Matt, Imagine living here. This could change my life. This would be so good. Yeah, it is about me. This would be comfortable. Wait a second. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. This house is a gift from God to be used for His glory. Snap out of it. Don't listen. Great challenge, isn't it? Where is your satisfaction? Are you falling for it? There are idols everywhere. Beware, they're subtle, they're alluring, they're tempting. You won't be happier. You'll just be thrilled for a few weeks or months and then you'll be looking for another idol. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That is so true, isn't it? And yet here is Israel chasing after other gods. God gave them salvation and yet there they are wanting to find wealth and abundance somehow in other gods. They throw it in God's face. Can you see how perverse it is? Can you see how much God is grieved by this? Uh, I reckon there's there's something intentionally emotive here, isn't there? When God starts to bring up relationship between a man and a woman, uh, he starts to talk about marriage and adultery and betrayal, it starts to get heavy, doesn't it? It starts to get emotional. In fact, I think God wants to see it is deeply personal what we do to God, what Israel have done to God. And to appreciate this, you've got to understand the kind of God that God is, the kind of husband that he is. See, he's not the cold and distant and uncaring husband. He's not the policeman. He only visits you when you're doing something wrong. Who's the God that we're hearing from here in Hosea chapter 1, he's the loving, caring, gracious God, isn't he? The God who wants what's best for you. The God who reaches out and saves his people. The God who sustains his people, that gives them generously everything uh, for their good. The God who's involved in your life, who's interested in you, that's the God we're talking about here, that's the husband we're talking about. That's the God they've betrayed. That's the God humanity has betrayed. And when you realise it's that God, you realise how outrageous our sin is, don't you? That sin is not a nothing. Sin is not just breaking a few laws. It's outrageous that we would reject this God, this God of great love and mercy and kindness. And you, and you think to yourself, well, yeah, it's wrong to betray this kind of God. But it's, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's outrageously wrong. It's hideously, hideously wrong. It's offensively wrong. It's like, how could you possibly do that kind of wrong? And I want us to think about adultery for a moment. That's the image here as we, uh, Hosea marries Goma. It's, it's not a pleasant picture, is it? But it's designed to get us thinking about our sin against God. And I'm sure as as we think about adultery, you'll think about your own examples, your own hurt, personal background, uh, friends, uh, parents. Uh, I'd be very surprised if you hadn't experienced the train wreck of adultery in some shape or form. In fact, some of you have felt it very deeply here at SALT a few years ago. You know, sadly, as I was thinking about this, for me, there were too many examples that came to mind of people that had headed down that train wreck of adultery, let me just tell you one of them. Uh, it's no one you know. Don't don't try and work out who it is. Uh, it's a story. It has it has a great ending, and I'll tell you that ending next week. Here is the the tragedy: husband and wife uh, known each other since they were teenagers, uh, come into their forties, uh, you know, living the Christian couple, living the average Christian life, coming along to church, um, working. She finds on his phone messages to another woman. Uh, That woman uh, confesses that she's been sleeping with her husband. Uh, That woman even brags to her that she's been doing it and she's been doing it, it's been happening for a number of years. She confronts her husband, he admits it and there begins a world, a world... A world of pain. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I've seen more pain than in betrayal. So going into ministry, I thought the hardest thing would be facing people facing death, taking a funeral, sitting with people who've lost someone. But it wasn't. The hardest thing is betrayal in marriage. As I'm reflecting on her pain, as her pastor, I remember her first phone call to me, uh, and she was she was speaking to a lot of uh, leaders, women leaders in our church as well. But you know, it's not an exaggeration. I thought to myself, getting off the phone, it's not an exaggeration. She would have felt less pain if her arm had been cut off. It was awful. And as I spoke with him, two things were competing in my heart. The first was. There, by the grace of God, go I. Don't judge him. You're a sinner. Uh, If It could have been you. There, by the grace of God, go you. The other thing that was going on in my head was, you idiot. (laughs) You fool. How could you possibly do that to the one who was committed to you? And so do you feel it here between God and Israel. It's that painful. It's that personal. This is what Israel have done to God. This is what humanity's done to God. Now, in our culture, it's kind of all around us, isn't it? It's kind of the 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 air we breathe. We don't think it's that big a deal to betray God because everyone is doing it. I heard a great illustration this week. It's that illustration of the pig in mud. The pig in mud doesn't kind of get what the big deal is about mud. Isn't it fun? Isn't it good? Everyone's doing it. Uh, Mud's not that big a deal. It won't hurt us. But put a speck of mud in your eye and it's a big deal. When you consider the glory, the greatness, the holiness of God, then you appreciate the horror of sin, how absolutely devastating sin is, and go, wow, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. How horrific! Now, what will God do about this? There's two things here in chapter one. Let me uh, first press into the. Let me press into the first one. I'll touch on the second one. We'll go deeper on the second one next week. God is going to judge. Uh, did you notice that? As, he, uh, enacts, as Hosea enacts this giant sermon illustration, has children with Gomer, the children will say to Israel, judgment is coming. Uh, look at it with me. The first is a son. First child born is a son. It's, his name is Jezreel, verse 4. Why, why call him Jezreel? Well, he tells us, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Can you imagine that? He's basically saying, call your son Massacre. If he's an Aussie, it's like, call your son Port Arthur. Because I want the community to know how awful a thing you've done at that place, Jezreel. And I want you to know that I will do what I will do at Jezreel at that place. I will put an end to your nation. The northern kingdom will come to an end. And so every time the community saw Hosea and Goma's son, they knew judgment was coming. And then Goma conceives a second child, look at that, uh, a daughter in verse 6. Call her lo hammer which means not loved, for I'll no longer show love to Israel, says God, that I should at all forgive them. There's another call of abandonment from God isn't it you will not be loved and your third child and another son verse 8 lo ami which means not my people for you are not my people God says every day at school there's the giant sermon illustration uh, the kids turn up we are under the judgment of God we are no longer the people of God we're no longer loved by God And so massive message there from God, isn't it? Judgment is coming. Make no mistake. Don't be deceived. It's inevitable. It will happen. And it did happen. It did happen in the history of Israel. See, Judah to the south were kept safe, but there it was, the Assyrian Empire in the year 722 BC, so later in that century, under King Sargon II, Assyria came down and crushed the nation of Israel. Obliterated, And the message is clear. Will God tolerate spiritual adultery? And the answer is no. Will God just stand by as the generous gi- giver of every good gift? He'd given wine and grain and houses and safety and security to Israel. Will he just sit back and watch that bride prostitute herself on other gods forever? No, he won't. Will he remove his goodness? Yes, he will. And I, I think we're meant to see it's completely right and fair that God does that. But isn't it, isn't it the case that we, we kind of balk at that? We don't actually think it's right and fair. We don't really think God should judge. We're actually shocked that God should judge Israel or judge anyone so I've got to ask you, with this giant sermon illustration of uh, a woman that has betrayed Hosea, but go back to the illustration I gave you before. What would you say to the woman whose husband has betrayed her? I mean, is it right that he expects to come back into the home? Is it right that he expects that He'll get bored, he'll get food and shelter and security and love there with her again. Does she have to have him back? I hope your answer is no. She doesn't have to have him back. And God doesn't have to have his people back. See, the whole point is that you're the ones who've broken the covenant. Along with Israel, we have broken God's covenant. We've done the outrageous thing. We've betrayed God and he will judge us because he's holy, because he's good. And it's really, it's, a, it's one of those moments in, in the, the Bible we, very key for us to get, really important for us to get, God is serious about judgment. He will do it. Uh, Jesus speaks... In the New Testament, about the judgment to come, where every human being will be brought before the judgment seat. This part of the Bible tells you that when God says judgment is coming, it's coming. He's serious about it. It will happen. Here is a warning. You know, we're we're astonished by that. We're shocked by that. But we're not meant to be shocked by that. We're meant to be shocked at something even more amazing. The end of chapter 1, God forgives. God restores, God shows mercy. How astonishing. Look at verse 10. So yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. You will be called my people, the children of the living God. Now, they don't deserve God's kindness and forgiveness and mercy, but he gives it to them. They've been off with the Baal's, Committing adultery, and here is God, the God of love, who says, But I'm going to restore you. After all that she's done, I will bring you back. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? That is the God. That is the God that we worship. Now, as we, as we finish up, let's think about knowing God, the God of love and mercy, and knowing ourselves. Let me encourage you. Know the love of God. Know his affection. Know his desire to love and cherish you. Know his warmth. Know his desire to be involved in your life. To win you back. Massive, isn't it? There's there's the emphasis. There's the take-home. Now, don't don't presume upon that, as, as Israel did. Don't head down and the path of uh, committing adultery with other gods or worshipping other gods, turning to idolatry. Be blown away by God's love. Rest in it, enjoy it. God's love is enormous, isn't it? And notice, it's not because you've been faithful to Him. It's even bigger, isn't it? We've been unfaithful, we've betrayed Him and yet He loves us. He wants us back. Uh, it's, it's the passage that was read out for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Romans chapter 5. How does God demonstrate his love for us? It's in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's massive. While, while we committed, the un, it seems like the unforgivable, doesn't it? It would be unforgivable for many of us to betray the one who was committed to us. While we were off with other lovers... God is dying for us in Christ. He's sending His Son at great personal cost. Such is the love, the commitment of God, that we might become His beautiful, precious bride, restored. Massive. Two things as we finish this morning. You can never say God doesn't care for humanity. People say that, don't they? Where is God? How can you ever say that, you know, God is distant? People say that. That God is absent. That seems so offensive, doesn't it? When you look at the God who's there, the God who's acted. The lengths he's gone to in Jesus. His enormous love for humanity that has betrayed him. There's one thing. Second thing, though, think about that return to the challenge at the start of this morning. Who is God? Who is us? Do you know God? It's a real challenge for us this morning, isn't it? Do you know this love of God? How enormous it is? How big it is for you in Christ? That though you've been unfaithful towards God, He so loves you, He sent His Son so you might be His beautiful, forgiven, precious bride. That's huge. Know God, know know yourself. And can I say, if that's new information for you today, if you'd like to know about the love of God, come and talk to one of us, come and sort that out. There is the most important thing you could be doing today, knowing the enormous love of God, knowing who you are and reconnecting with the God who loves and cherishes you. Let me me pray for us as we uh, finish... Our great Heavenly Father, we're we're blown away by your enormous love and kindness and mercy to us this morning. Uh, Father, please keep pressing these things into our heart and our minds. Uh, Please keep helping us by your Spirit to know the enormous love, the enormous commitment you have to your people. Fathers, we've sat with the horror, the ugliness of betrayal of spiritual adultery. We know that we, are, we have been guilty as well. Father, please forgive us again. Please restore us. Thank you that you've forgiven us in Christ. Uh, Lord, please uh, keep working in our hearts this enormous love you have for us. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.